Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find a link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 59. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is What's So Not. The world-renowned electronic artist from Sydney, Australia, recently returned to music with his single, The Change, featuring DMAs. In today's episode, we talk with Chris Emerson about the close-knit nature of the Australian music scene, being back inside a proper studio, and how he ended up remixing Run the Jewels. Here we go. Our guest today is one of Australia's greatest exports onto the worldwide electronic music scene. After taking a year off, he's recently returned to making music and has released The Change, which features the lads from DMAs. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Chris Emerson, aka What So Not. Good afternoon or good morning where you are. Yes, it's still technically morning here. Still technically morning. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm in Perth, WA. I'm on a, a comfortable little lockdown here, just uh, getting some administrative things done and then studio at night while we uh, ride this few days out. Of course. Um, mm. What takes you to Perth? Because you're usually a Sydney boy. Well, I was overseas for like I was overseas for like six years, um, just kind of constantly touring uh and then covid hit came back i didn't actually have anywhere to live um my friend let me stay at his house in newcastle through covid we had this big house with all these analog gear and like it's kind of magic actually like a place to be locked down we thought the world was ending and we're just in there like creating music every day um and then as soon as they started to do shows again I moved straight to Perth because their restrictions are very strict and it meant that I could almost always do my show. If I started here, every state would let you in um, because I think they've only had two or three outbreaks since March 2020. 2020, Yeah. So um, it was a a decision so that I could make sure I could do all my shows. And um, Carl Shock One, who's an amazing drum and bass artist here, he has been letting me use his studio at night when he goes home to his family. So I've pretty much been living and sleeping and working in his studio. Um, and then, uh, and then, um, just trying to get everything else done in the daylight hours. But you know, this is my morning. Your 1 PM is when I'm just surfacing. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, as, as we discussed a second ago, I think it's, um, very fair. I always feel like musicians or artists when they're creating and in the studio that the body clock kind of goes out the window and is kind of not like, it doesn't hit five and you go, oh, well, like that song can wait till tomorrow. It, you know, when it hits, it hits. Do you mean 5am or 5pm? Cause I'm hitting five 
I'm hitting 5am. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Whichever one works for you. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Also all my, all my team are American. Um, so, and, and UK. Um, so <laughs> I'm like about to sort of slow down and then it hits 11 PM and they're like all waking up with questions and then I'll be up for another, <laughs> at least another three or four hours usually. Yeah. Far out. I can imagine that kind of, again, it, it takes its toll, but that's your office hours. So that's your working hours, if you will. Well, yeah, it's 24 hour work day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm very curious cause I know, and we'll get to in a second, uh, you famously took a year off from, you know, not necessarily the project, but like touring everything else. And then COVID hit, we'll touch on that in a second. We'll touch on that okay. in a single, the one thing I wanted to, to open our conversation with, I'm not sure I'm going to move my head slightly. The, oh, there it is. Um, the run, the jewels record that came out last year. Yeah. You came back into came back into what's so not earlier this year with the remix for Just featuring yes. um, Pharrell and Zach. I'm very curious how that kind of came about, how it happened, and um, and yeah, and what your thoughts on it were. Um, I started with like a, a a sort of bootleg of it, and then uh, someone in the team got it to the guys, and then they actually liked it because apparently they turned down almost every remix that anyone ever does for them. Um, and I sort of bootlegged the track and was like, Hey, I'd love to get the stems. Like, this is what I'm thinking. And they were like, we actually really like this. I can see the record behind your head. Is that why you decided to do it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And it's really cool. Like, um, spoke to the guys a little bit and, um, then I did this, really in-depth um analysis of the song and created that um that music video 3d animated visualizer with jordan who i'm building a lot with at the moment um on the in the video space and um and mike is gonna um work on something with me we're about to start chatting through that which is really exciting um so yeah it was very cool like i started when I was younger in bands and I was uh, in the, at the drive-in and Rage Against the Machine were like, you know, one of the gods. So to, to work on that record and, um, and I, I think that that record was so impactful and so important for that period with everything that was going on, um, you know, socially and politically at the time. Yeah. hundred percent. The, the record was, I think a weird, um, like lightning in a bottle of just the perfect record at the perfect time. And, um, yeah, I can imagine, as you mentioned, you originally came from a rock world before going into dance music. So did you ever think that, uh, as, as a young man, that one day you'd be able to have a credit on a, on a sack from Rage Against the Machine track? No. (laughs) <laughs> Short answer, no. I, I didn't think any of this was going to happen. I didn't even know I was going to do music. Um, music was like a fun thing that I did in my spare time. That when I was quite young, I wasn't even that passionate about it. I enjoyed it a lot and I loved music, but I wasn't very good at it. And then um, and then I, I sort of found my, my lane with it when I turned oh, 17, 18. I got into – I went to the big day out and I saw – I think it was – it was definitely Justice, the presets, and I think Solax, all within a few hours of each other. Never seen or heard anything. I didn't even know what those bands were. And yeah. I saw that, <laughs> and it just changed everything for me. And then I was like, 
oh my God, this is what I want to do. And that's when I got that drive and that passion about it all. I'd always loved music, but I'd never had that drive in it. And then that kicked me into gear and sort of set me on a path. And so it was, it was really cool to go from being a kid into rock music to being, seeing what was possible with electronic production and then converting and then coming back full swing, you know, this, this last year, getting to do a song with Pharrell, Zach Della Rocca from Rage and Run the Jewels. It does seem like, um, I guess uh, I'm, I'm curious when you, you saw those bands and, and made that change, were there much of, was there much of a, you know, sometimes if you, this is a horrible analogy, but like you stop drinking and then certain friends kind of like don't want to be friends anymore. Like they were only like your drinking friends. Yeah. Did you find yeah, yeah. there was much of a drop off in like, um, like rock friends but and electro friends? Not so much because I think the whole world was shifting. I think yeah. it, it was the start of like literally the start of blog culture, um, the start of the decentralization of music. It was when majors lost control, when the young producer doing something a bit different could suddenly just create something and start touring the world. Um, so there's just this giant cultural shift, I think, towards underground, towards dance music. And, of course, that finally, I think, took hold by about 2010, 2011, all around the world. But it was definitely mm-hmm. bubbling very strongly here in Australia. You think of all the incredible festivals we used to have that really championed dance music, like the Boiler Room, I think of at Big Day Out and Park Life and... Then yeah. Stereosonic came in and, you know, there was um, all the, yeah, there was so many amazing events where no one had camera phones yet. Um, it was just <laughs> about, you just, you were just there and you experienced it and then you talked about it to everyone and that was it. That was the only way. And it, it was this giant frenzy sort of around that. And I loved all the, the French electro sound, like all the Ed Banger crew and everything the Bang Gang guys were doing. And then, of course, there was like Vanshee, Midnight Juggernauts, Presets, all of those guys. Yeah. Just this real mecca of all these different styles and sounds or just clashing. And it, from, from you know, sort of moving further up in the industry and meeting a lot of these people that I used to watch as a kid, um, they all say like Australia was the hub. Australia was the place that was on to all these different lanes early and one of the few places where it all happened together. And and they talk about like how amazing those tours with, were for them getting to meet all these acts from all these different walks of life where everybody was so popular in this country, despite it all being so new and so fresh. And I think that's what got all of us so excited to get into creating dance music. It's a really interesting point because I, I will agree, like there was – um, oh shit, what year was it? Maybe around like 2008, yeah. 2009 when, um, like when Daft Punk brought the pyramid to Australia, to Melbourne, I think. Um, I think that and was were... 2007. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. One year off. Um, That's all good. <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when like, yeah, when Midnight Juggernauts, bands like that were coming out. Because it does feel like Australia was as like a hub or, a, excuse me, a starting point. Uh, for it, but on the other side of it, um, and we recently had Godlands on the on the podcast a few weeks ago. Nice. We were discussing this, who I know that uh, you and her are, are friendly. Yeah, that for artists in Australia now in the electro scene in the dance scene is that 
you can only kind of go so high. There's only a certain point you can reach before you kind of have to, you know, possibly move overseas or like have a base overseas to be able to do this to the level that you want to do it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always been like that. Um, I think it used to be easier to break overseas because we were at the front of something and everyone was actually, I remember all the American booking agents when I first got over there, they were just fiending to get an Aussie act (laughs) doing that new Australia. They were fiending for it. They were all trying to pick them off before they even had 10,000 followers and just (laughs) lock them into their agency and start trying to get their visa and get them over to America. Um, But that was just a period where we'd all created something really exciting and new here, you know, founded by all the things we were hearing. I think that's the good thing about the music culture in Australia is it, it doesn't, um, it likes to listen to everything and then come up with its own version of it rather than I think some cultures are very traditional and they have their thing they do in that country and that's what they do. And I think here yeah. everybody looks at all the different um, styles and genres and developments that are going on and adapts very quickly. Um, and I, I think we just had a real uh, tipping point and a, and a pinnacle moment in this country where all eyes were on us and then a lot of us got to go overseas. And now um, now it's a little harder because it's it's had that moment and you kind of – and I think a huge part of this was the lockout laws coming in it just severed the head on the amazing um, ecosystem that we had here. And, um, it, you know, sort of it's really complex mathematics, but I'll try and explain it simply. If they took out Sydney, right, like Sydney's gone, Sydney was usually the anchor city for all tours. If you imagine how expensive it is to get someone from Europe or America here, it's going to be like two and a half grand flight return, right? So to make a profitable tour, you got to make about – at least like 10 grand. And if you take out Sydney, that's like the main hub gone. Melbourne likes certain styles of music and not others. And then you pretty much just have a sure thing is Brisbane. Perth is too far to fly, too expensive to fly a crew around a lot of the time, unless you have like you're doing drum and bass or bass music that is really popular there. So then you're very limited as to the profitability of a tour. The promoter can't afford to pay a fee that's even feasible to bring someone out because they're they're only making profit for maybe an hour of the night. Like in Sydney, there's an urban sprawl. People don't get into the city until midnight and they're only allowed to trade from midnight to 1.30 to take door. That's an hour and a half to make profit. So how can you afford to pay three or four grand for an act that's up and coming and emerging that's come here from overseas? It just wiped out the whole culture, stopped the development of international talent, stopped showcasing very cutting edge international talent to the young people here and stopped connecting them because that was the whole thing that all these cool, interesting acts would come out. We'd get to connect with them. We'd start working with their labels, start meeting their managers, their agents overseas and all these kinds of things. And it just severed the head of all of that. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing that crippled that whole scene and made it hard for emerging acts here to really break. It definitely has Obviously, there's been like multiple ramifications from COVID and, and lockdown laws and everything else for, especially for the art scene. I feel, I feel like sports and that is still continuing on with no real repercussions. But that's a different, that's a different story, different episode of a podcast. We won't mm. <laughs> um, use this space for that. But I'm curious as well. Be, 
I feel like the electro scene in Australia is very well known for being like really tight knit. As I said, you and Godlands are friends. Um, mm. And I feel that that shows not just your friendship with her, but the electro scene itself, it shows in a way more so than I think like the, the indie scene might, or like the pop scene might, it actually does show as like tight knit. Do you feel that that's been maybe like the Australian side of it has been strengthened by COVID and the lockdowns or do you think that it might've hindered it slightly? No, I think it's definitely strengthened. Um, I do notice that, when I travel overseas, I see a big difference in that it is a smaller place. So you can get to know almost everyone and cross paths with everyone at some point. Um, and there's this, you know, a bit more, uh, I guess, a friendly attitude. You're at a festival, you're not staunch with security all around you, not talking to anyone. You go on hanging out backstage with anyone on the build, you don't care what level they're at. That's usually the vibe that people have in Australia. And I think that's great. I think it's really cool that everyone's open like that. Um, and I, I, maybe it's the electronic scene. I found it to be the whole scene, you know, like even like people in bands and songwriters and cause all everyone in electronic music, they're not usually the singer as well. So they're working with songwriters and songwriters are often parts of bands and things. So there's a lot of cross pollination there and a lot of camaraderie there. And, and there's always some sort of, you know, in with this person who knows all these people and then you all hang out together and then you're friends and you go and party together and you make some songs together. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's, it's cool. It's great like that. Is that, I imagine, how um, the the first original music from yourself this year, The Change featuring the DMA, uh, sorry, yeah. the DMAs, um, is that how that kind of came about by meeting them on tour at festivals and, you know, having some beers talking about music? I was really surprised. I had never, I knew of the boys, of course, but I'd never met them. And that's weird because I've met, I feel like I've met almost everyone in the Australian scene at this point. Um, and I'd actually been staying and working like three doors down from where their studio is for, for about a month in Sydney. Um, but we got linked up pretty much because everybody was just back here. I think, you know, everyone had been touring and traveling and living abroad and and doing all this amazing stuff. And then we're all just stuck here and we're like, you know, hitting our people up like, who's around? Like, I just want to make some music. I just want to (laughs) kind of capture how I'm feeling right now. And and that's how I got linked up with the guys. And um, it was was really cool. Like, I actually considered Johnny such a great friend and such a good person to chat to and call up. And um, it was, it was so easy working together and so fun. And then all the rest of the boys came in and got involved in the song as well. It was really cool. Did you find any, when you did start, like after taking the time off, cause I think I'm going to get the numbers wrong and please correct me. But That's famously, I know that, um, a bit, a little bit of a workaholic, I think like four to four fifty shows in two years or three years. Yeah. That sounds about right. Two yeah. years. and i imagine that you're creating or like even recording making music on the road a lot and like on your laptop doing all that what was it like coming back into a studio setting and and kind of having you know more at your disposal than just a laptop oh that's such a good question and that's pretty much the the same sort of um thoughts and situations that i found myself in because i would I would typically create 
while I traveled, but you don't finish. You just create ideas. You're like, I feel this way and this is an experience I'm having right now and I just want to capture it. And you capture it, but it's just like a, a minute thing or like an A and a B section or some really nice chords with a really nice melody or, or some weird percussion with um, some bass sounds. And, you know, it's not they're not songs per se or you work with a vocalist and you have a song, but it's just a, a bed. It's not like a production yet. So that was really what I got the opportunity to do during COVID was I got to study my craft again. I got to sit with my head in between speakers for hours and hours on end. Um, and, you know, I, I just did that for, I mean, the first stint when I was in Newcastle, um, I was probably working 10 to 16 hours every day. And the only break I was taking was to go to the beach and go surfing. So I was doing <laughs> my two favorite things in the world constantly for about nine months. Did you find that there was any, um, cause I imagine that it does, it opens up a whole new world, but was there any negative that you found about being in the studio in terms of like compared to working on the go? Um, I think I was too excited and, um, I guess relieved to, <laughs> to feel the negative effects. Um, so one thing I missed was like the thing I love about traveling is I meet some pretty cool people at shows that I do, particularly in, you know, strange little cities all around Europe or America or wherever it is. And they kind of invite you into their world and their culture. And if you have a day off there, they'll, you know, there's always some cool person who'll be like, I'm going to show you all the dope shit in the city, not the tourist shit. I'm going to show you the dope shit. I'm going to take you to this little bar, this little club. We're going to go and climb this mountain. We're going to go and, you know, you really get invited into their, their world and their culture. And they show you things that you would never be able to find on your own, or you would never see in your algorithm that exists online based on what you usually click on. You know, they show you things that you would never think of to look for. Um, and I, I did miss that because that is, I think the core of most of my inspiration is being invited into these little micro communities and, and understanding what makes that tick. And for me, like seeing where things are probably going is, is usually if you get invited into different micro communities in different corners of the world, and then you see a common thread, if you see a common thread, that's where everything is heading towards. So I'll usually see that and then be like, Oh, cool. This is really starting to go. I'm going to start, um, you know, playing off my excitement and influence in, in this field and then attach that to what I'm doing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm curious. I know that you've, um, you've previously spoken about like, um, on cycle and off cycle when it comes to album releases Mm. and kind of having that time of when you're on cycle, when you're promoting, you're like, you're playing your music, you're doing that. And then when you're off cycle, you're still playing shows, obviously. But Mm. as you said, you're you're going to all these weird little cities and drawing inspiration from all these kind of different things Mm. with how the last year has played out with COVID, with everything. When you're now creating a a new record, how do Mm. you find new inspiration when you don't have that ability to find like weird little bits and pieces or new influences. So instead of trying to do that, I I sort of realized my surroundings and just started doing different things. So the house I was staying at, there was like 15 different analog scents. And because I've traveled for six years straight, I only carry with me what I can carry on my back and sometimes get to go in a studio with some gear and play around with it. And I have like a little Minotaur and a, and an OP one, um, that I carry around with me. So I have somewhat of an understanding of analog, but I dived so deep into that. I was like, when am I going to get an opportunity to sit with gear for nine months and really push it and toy with it and understand its inner workings. And from doing that with analog and like, there's something about writing it and feeling it with your hands and moving with the song that taught me so much. And it taught me so much about synthesis that I now carry into when I'm creating soft synths in, um, in my session. Um, just about how sound, sound waves react with each other and, and what happens when you really, you, you kind of corrupt them and take them to places that, you know, get you those really interesting and strange sounds and, and running them through different gear and, um, it just taught me so much. So instead of, instead of being inspired by these micro communities, I became inspired by sound and inspired by gear and toys that I hadn't explored. So that was my micro community was synthesis. That's very cool. That's, um, actually a very, very cool, um, answer. I'm curious with these changes, um, I guess to both the recording and the inspiration, do you think that this will then in turn change how your live show works in terms of possible gear band or, you know, like other players, like what the live show now means or how it works? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I had like a, a band I put together that was me and Trev and, and any, um, vocalist friends that were in town that had either featured on records or wanted to come up and perform. Um, and that was vocals, drums, guitar. And now it might be that again, but with synthesis as well. Um, and I might be more confident now to do drums and synthesis as part of the show. Um, which I'm really excited about because I think there's so much freedom I can do there. Like when I used to like, I used to like DJ, DJ, um, like use four decks and samples and loops and run loops and mix in songs and T songs. And so I'm excited to start applying that kind of attitude to synthesis and having that involved in the live show. And it's, it's really going to open some, um, some exciting doors for me in terms of performance 
and in terms of um, making the shows like so unique. I'm sure there's going to be times when I, I do something in the show and I'll, I'm like, I wish I recorded that. Like <laughs> that was on the record. <laughs> like, I'm sure that's going to happen. It's going to be great for me, man. Cause I, I think you hit a point with, I mean, I've had many phases with DJing where like when I started DJing, it was very hard to find anyone that DJed. It was just after it was all vinyl. It was like the the second era of CDJs, <laughs> right? So if you imagine when, yeah. you're, when you're a kid, you can't afford to buy vinyl. So nobody DJed because you couldn't afford it, right? Yeah. And I was sort of 17 when I started doing it as the first few generations of CDJs had come out. And, um, and then like, it was very new and it was very exciting and very different. And then once everybody started doing it and they made it so much easier as they've developed the technology, they developed it so that it did a lot of the work for you and then anyone could do it. And then it became about doing it, you know, different, more unique. And there was also the case of when I first went to America, I DJed like I would in Australia, very technically with lots of layering and exciting things. And I, saw that they didn't, they maybe didn't have the same sort of culture that we had here, which happens everywhere you go in the world. They don't have the same, um, upbringing on different things. They, I don't think they had the same kind of club culture that we had here in Australia. We had bang gang, right? They were wild. They were all over the place, crazy. They didn't have that. So when I started DJing like that over there, I didn't feel like they were into it. They'd sort of stop and look like rather than (laughs) like keep dancing. Um, so I stopped DJing like that a lot and like started letting the songs play out, which wasn't really my vibe in the, in the beginning. And then that made DJing not as exciting because I wasn't doing as much and it wasn't as free form. Um, but you know, and I think that also just comes with, as your project develops and gets bigger, you have songs that people really want to hear and they just want to hear the song. And to me, <laughs> I used to like, I'm going to play this thing for 30 seconds and I'm on to the next and like, it was just a transitional thing of becoming, going from like being a DJ, just smashing tunes and trying to do really interesting and creative transitions and builds and things to an artist that people were coming to hear the songs of. Um, and there was a back and forth with that for me a lot. There's a little love hate. Like at one point I just didn't like DJing. I thought it was so boring. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'll just play this song. And then, cause all my stuff's all different tempos and different keys. There's only like four or five songs I can possibly mixed into when back in the day, it was all 128 BPM. You could mix in and out of any style, <laughs> you know, and anything at that tempo. Cause like they're all relative to each other, but yeah, yeah it just, it just put me in a box and I, I didn't really like that. And then when I started doing the live shows that really opened things up again for me and I was like, Oh, I can perform. I can, you know, it, there's a live element to this. I've really missed this. And then that was me representing the songs that I created in a, a, you know, a much more of a live manner. And then I would get to do an after party where I could do a DJ set and there was no longer an expectation for me to just play on my own music. I could yeah. suddenly play whatever I liked and whatever I was vibing on. And that was such a relief for me and gave me all that passion I had originally had in it. It was like, if you want to hear all my songs, come to the show if you want to see me actually DJ, let's go to the after party. <laughs> and it was great to have that separation. And, and it, it just gave me more windows of, you know, creative um, excitement to, to go and explore. Yeah, of course. I don't, um, I don't want to be presumptuous 
uh, or ever in an interview, but the way that you're speaking about it now, uh, I know you've got some shows in New Zealand at the end of the month. And then I think yes. uh, there's some dates overseas at the, as throughout the, the rest of the year. Um, mm. I'm going to guess that you are excited about getting back on the road in the way that you're speaking about touring, but I still obviously, again, no presumption. Are you excited about being able to get back out there and, and play proper shows? I feel like I'm still in between a phase. Um, I've kind of had my head between speakers now for a year and a half. And it's kind of been my favorite time of my life. <laughs> it's like, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I, I, I needed to understand to really elevate my productions. Like I could always get there. It would just take so much longer. Now I know, I know how to get here. I know how to get here. I know what the floor of that is. And it was just, there's an element of, rushing everything that you have to do when you're on tour, when you're on the road and also not having a, a zero point of reference. So if you sit in the same room every single day and you work through a multitude of things and listen to other people's records, you actually start to hear it from a neutral point. Whereas when you're moving about all the time, traveling everywhere, you're just in headphones. You can't like, there's no air pushing. You don't feel what, and like we make festival music. So you got to feel what it's doing to people and feel what it's doing to you. And you can't do that in headphones. Um, so that was like, I had my first nine month stint in Newcastle and that was all about like synth and sonic exploration for me. And then my next stint was over here in WA when I was using Carl studio, which is a, a very well-made, you know, high end uh, drum and bass producing studio. You really hear what's going on. And you can make it very loud and push things very hard and, and almost feel like what it's going to feel like in a club. Um, so my first stint was that. And my, my next stint was almost studying the science of mixing and mastering and, and working through um, how to, how to do that better. And it, it's always a case of you're going to create something usually, you know, most of us get people to mix and master our stuff, but if you can get it, so much further along yourself. If you can be totally independent, it all becomes faster. Their job becomes easier. There's less back and forth. You can get more records out. There's not delays. And a lot of it's just highly complex sonic problem solving or, you know, musicality problem solving where you're like, this song is beautiful. It's so perfect, but something's not right about it. What is not right? I had, I had one instance with a song where just recently where there was this, the lead synth, and it was this nice brassy dun, 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 dun. and it was so important for the song. It was like the anchor of the song, but it didn't fit. And I was like, what is going on with this? I tried all these different sonic spacing and processing techniques. And, and in the end I realized that it had been recording without quantization. And it meant that some of the notes were sitting in this really cool pocket, but then some of them were floating in the other direction. And all I had to do was grab the front of some of those notes and push them back a bit and nudge them into that perfect like swing and groove. And it was like the synth was just sitting on top of the track, kind of floating in and out of the, and I couldn't find the rhythm of the drums because the main synth had kept moving. And so forever I couldn't work out what was wrong with this song. And then finally I realized, Oh, the synth is just floating. It's timing is floating. It's not a processing thing. It's, it's rhythm. 
and it's not locking into the groove and that's in, impeding the drums, making the whole song feel like it's not quite together yet. And you don't work stuff like that out unless you sit somewhere for nine months going back and forth on, on different projects and coming into it with fresh ears and, and rethinking and rethinking and rethinking. And that's what I got to do this whole time is just address, 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 rethink, rethink, try and make something 10% better, leave the session, go on to the next session, leave the session, go on to the next session. I'd try and go into like five or six different songs every day for like six months and just try and chip away a little bit each time, a little bit each time, come back with fresh ears. And when you go through a multitude of different songs in the one short period, you start to see the solution to this one is already in here. I just need to carry that solution to this one. It's like, maybe I just need this little shaker here. Maybe that synth is too bright. Maybe that vocal is actually clashing with that melody. And I, I hear that now because I've just heard a song where that wasn't the case, where it all was quite harmonious. Um, and it was, you know, quite an intense process of that for the last yeah, seven months. Do you think that uh, obviously working in electronic music, you are always producing music, but could you see mm. now that you do have this new fondness for like sitting in the studio, could you see yourself maybe between records doing producing for others and, and being able to still make music and, and make a career from it, make a living from it, but you don't have to, you know, you can produce all these artists and not have to tour it and not have to worry about that. Is that something that kind of has, uh, I guess, crossed your mind or something that you, you'd be looking forward to doing more of? I love doing that and I've done that for a few people in the past and it's something I'm very excited to to dive into more. And, again, like a lot of it is just time and the more – the more I study and the more independent I can be and the faster I can get from the front to the back of things, the more time I have to do things like that. Um, the only counter side of that is just the way the music industry is. I don't know if the money is there for that to support yourself. It seems very hard to be artistically producing people and actually make it viable. It's, it's, it's more a commercial endeavor, I think, these days where you're a producer that's just on with a sound and majors are coming to you to just rinse that sound because it's on. <laughs> and, yeah. it, and, and it's like, well, that's not art. That's a, that's a commercial function, you yeah. know? It's, so, um, it's like a facsimile of whatever else is on the radio. Yeah, so it's more of... Um, it would be more of a pleasure project. I, I don't actually think it's a much of a career move. There's there's a few people I know that do it really well, but it's it's a small window. Like a great person, I think John Omar from Jaguar Omar. He's fucking amazing all around, and he's doing that, and he's killing it. I think he's working with Jamie XX and the flight facilities. But then there's only so many of those acts to work with on stuff like that, <laughs> and there's only so many people that can fill that role as well. So it's a very small yeah. circumference unless you want to be someone who's just, you know, churning out the gimmicky kind of commercial <laughs> stuff. And that, it's not really my lane. So I, I'll you know, to answer your question. I'll, I would love to do that and I will do that. And I have done that and I'll continue to do it. I don't know how much um, commercial viability there is in it. <laughs> That's yeah. very fair. I can, I can respect mm. that. 
Um, Chris, the uh, last thing I wanted to ask, usually we will speak to our guests about um, what they're currently listening to. If there's anything uh, like a record or a single by, um, by someone at the moment that's getting a thrashing from yourself. Mm. Um, I've been listening to a lot of stuff. I started this, uh, I don't know if you've seen, we started this thing called dance chord and it's a discord with pretty much every artist I love and friends all in there. Everyone's communicating and there's a whole, um, a community of people that are joining into it. And as there's, there's a lot of bigger acts, but then there's also a lot of really cool, small emerging acts and, um, like sleep net. I mean, that's Nick from noisier, but you know, he's noisier disbanded a couple of years ago and they've all started their own solo stuff. And that project for me is insanely exciting. It's like dark underground alternative drum and bass and just intense sonic rhythms. Um, and then you have people like quiet bison, uh, tech Genesis, who's actually an Australian who just had him on his first ever show at the, the Ivy set that we did. Um, I love what Nina and Coda are doing at the moment. Um, there's, uh, who else is there? Amanu is another one. He's, she's just like, he's come from drum and bass world and now doing house music and kind of leveling everyone in his path. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I think there's some very cool talent floating about at the moment. Um, and it's exciting to be, you know, in a community chatting with everyone and just sharing ideas and thoughts. And it's been nice to be, I've been asked to do a lot of mixes lately because a lot of stuff has become more online and less shows and, and then hitting up all these younger people and getting to showcase some of their music on some of the channels that you have been asking me to do mixes has been really cool as well. If there's been any kind of uh, a few silver linings from COVID, I think that one, it has kind of leveled, I guess like leveled the playing field in a way in terms of that. I know, as you said, there's, less international bands coming in to be able to showcase these newer bands, but everyone with the push to online, it means that kind of it's a level playing field for newer acts to be able mm. to uh, be seen and, and showcase some of their stuff. So it is, it is a somewhat exciting time for them. Yeah. There's also an avenue of like, I can't play my unreleased records online because then they're already online. So I have, <laughs> yeah. so I, I have to play other people's unre- unreleased records. Like I can't churn out three new records for every mix that I do. It's not <laughs> physically possible. So I hit up like a broad spectrum of really cool acts that I, I really love new and new and old. And, and I'm like, Hey, who's got something interesting that's dropping in the next month or so I'd love to put in this mix. And it's kind of going back to what DJing is meant to be about, which is great. And it's really exciting. And it's, um, you know, it's just, it's odd because there's not a lot of people making any money at the moment and this can only go for so long. Um, I think yeah. particularly for the smaller acts, like they might be getting a few shows here and there, usually that are fulfilling and supporting, you know, them starting out and they just don't have that right now. It's really challenging. But at the same time, I think a bunch of them are getting showcased because, um, because of the way the structure has sort of fallen with this COVID situation. Definitely. I think, um, yeah, hit the nail on the head that it's, it's a good step forward for them, but it, it can't last forever. Um, Mm. very quickly. I know you just mentioned that there is a record in there. Can we expect a record, the full length record anytime soon, or is it kind of lip sealed at the moment? Um, you might have to come back to me, (laughs) (laughs) but but I will say 
I will say I've been uh, sitting with my head between speakers for a year and a half now. So <laughs> we are waiting on bated breath. We will come back to you and um, and <laughs> and confirm something. Chris, thank you very much for your awesome. time today, and congratulations no again on the single. Thanks so much, Simon. That was awesome, man. Appreciate it a lot. That's our show. A massive thank you to Chris for his time. The change is out now and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to go and see a What's So Not show near you soon. We also want to give a huge shout out to Fiona at On The Map PR for helping out with today's interview. You can find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes where you'll be able to listen to all of our guests' picks. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday and Friday morning with guest playlists streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 